Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 24 The history of the famous Princess Michael Mykona continued with other pleasant adventures. The joy of the whole company was unspeakable by the happy conclusion of this perplexed business. Dorothea, Cardinio, and Lucinda thought the sudden change of their affairs too surprising to be real and could hardly be induced to believe their happiness. Fernando thanked heaven a thousand times for having led him out of a labyrinth in which his honor and virtue were like to have been lost. The curate, as he was very instrumental in the general reconciliation, had likewise no small share in the general joy, and that no discontent might sour their universal satisfaction, Cardinio and the curate engaged to see the hostess satisfied for all the damages committed by Don Quixote, only poor Sancho drooped sadly. He found his lordship and his hopes vanished into smoke, but Princess Michael Micona was changed to Dorothea and the giant to Don Fernando. Thus, very musty and melancholy, he slipped into his master's chamber, who had slept on and was just wakened, little thinking of what had happened. I hope your early rising will do no hurt, said he, Sir Knight off the sorrowful figure, but you may now sleep until doomsday if you will, nor need you trouble your head any longer about killing any giant or restoring the princess for all that is done to your hand. That is more than probable, answered the knight, for I have had the most extraordinary, the most prodigious and bloody battle with the giant that I ever had or shall have during the whole course of my life. Yet with one cross stroke I laid his head on the ground, whence the great effusion of blood seemed like a violent stream of water. Of wine, you mean, said Sancho, for you must know, if you know it not already, that your worship's dead giant is a broached wineskin, and the blood some thirty gallons of tent which it held in its body. What sayest thou, madman, said the dawn, thou art frantic, sure. Rise, rise, sir, said Sancho, and see what fine work you have cut out for yourself. Here is your great queen changed into a private woman called Dorothea, with some other such odd matters that you will wonder with a vengeance. I can wonder at nothing here, said Don Quixote, 
where you may remember I told you all things were ruled by enchantment. I believe it, quoth Sancho, had my adventure with the blanket been of that kind, but sure it was likest the real tossing in a blanket of anything I ever knew in my life. And this same innkeeper, I remember very well, was one of those that tossed me into the air, and as cleverly and heartily he did it as a man could wish, I will say that for him, so that, after all, I begin to smell a rat, and do greatly suspect that all our enchantment will end in nothing but bruises and broken bones. Heaven will retrieve all, said the knight, I will therefore dress, and march to the discovery of these wonderful transformations. Meanwhile the curate gave Don Fernando and the rest an account of Don Quixote's madness and of the device he used to draw him from the desert, to which the supposed disdain of his mistress had banished him in imagination. Sancho's adventures made also a part in the story, which proved very diverting to the strangers. He added, that since Dorothea's change of fortune had balked their design that way, some other scheme should be devised to decoy him home. Cardenio offered his service in the affair, and that Lucinda should personate Dorothea. No, no, answered Don Fernando, Dorothea shall humor the jest still, if this honest gentleman's habitation be not very far off. Only two days journey, said the curate. I would ride twice as far, said Don Fernando, for the pleasure of so good and charitably an action. By this time Don Quixote had sallied out armed cap a pie, Membrino's helmet, with a great hole in it, on his head, his shirreld in his left arm, and with his right he leaned on his lance. His meager, yellow, weather-beaten face of half a league in length, the unaccountable medley of his armor, together with his grave and solemn port, struck Don Fernando and his companions dumb with astonishment, while the champion, casting his eyes on Dorothea, with great gravity broke silence with these words. I am informed by this my squire, beautiful lady, that your greatness is annihilated, and your majesty reduced to nothing, for of a queen and mighty princess, as you used to be, you are become a private damsel. If any express order from the necromantic king your father, doubting the ability and success of my arm in the reinstating you, has occasioned this change, I must tell him that he is no conjurer in these matters, and does not know half of his trade, nor is Heskild in the revolutions of chivalry, for had he been conversant in the study of knight errantry as I have been, he might have found the ten every-age champions of less fame than Don Quixote de la Mancha have finished more desperate. Adventures, since the killing of a pitiful giant, how arrogant soever he may be, is no such great achievement, for not many hours past I encountered one myself, the success I will not mention, lest the incredulity of some people might distrust the reality, but time, the discoverer of all things, will disclose it when least expected. To conclude, most high and disinherited lady, if your father, for the reasons already mentioned, has caused this metamorphosis in your person, believe him not, for there is no peril on earth through which my sword shall not open a way, and assure yourself that in a few days, by the overthrow of your enemy's head, it's all fixed on yours that crown which is your lawful inheritance. Here Don Quixote stopped, waiting the princess's answer, 
she assured of Don Fernando's consent to carry on the jest till Don Quixote was got home, and assuming a face of gravity, answered, Whosoever has informed you, thou artest knight of the sorrowful figure, that I have altered or changed my condition, has imposed upon you, for I am just the same today as yesterday. It is true some unexpected but fortunate accidents have varied some circumstances of my fortune, much to my advantage, and far beyond my hopes, but I am neither changed in my person, nor altered in my resolution of employing the force of your redoubtable and invincible arm in my favor. I therefore apply myself to your usual generosity, to have these words spoken to my father's dishonor recalled, and believe these easy and infallible means to address my wrongs the pure effects of his wisdom and policy, as the good fortune I now enjoy has been the consequence of your surprising deeds, as this noble presence can testify. What should hinder us then, from setting forward tomorrow morning, depending for a happy and successful conclusion on the will of heaven and the power of your unparalleled courage? The ingenious Dorothea having concluded, Don Quixote turning to Sancho with all the signs of fury imaginable, tell me, rogue, scoundrel, did not you just now inform me that this princess was changed into a little private damsel called Dorothea with a thousand other absurdities? I vow I have a mind so to use thee as to make thee appear a miserable example to all succeeding squires that shall Dorito tell a knight errant a lie. Did your worship cried Sancho, have patience, I beseech you, mayhap I am mistaken or so, about my lady princess Michael Mykona's concern there, but that the giant's head came off the wineskin shoulders, and that the blood was as good tent as ever was tipped over tongue, I will take my oath on it, for are not the skins all hacked and slashed within there at your bed's head, and the wine all in a puddle in your chamber? But you will guess at me presently by the sauce, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, master, and if my landlord here do not let you know it to your cost, he is a very honest and civil fellow, that is all. Sancho, said the Don, I pronounce thee non-compass, I therefore pardon thee, and have done. It is enough, said Don Fernando, we, therefore, in pursuance of the princess's orders, Will this night refresh ourselves, and tomorrow we will all of us set out to attend the Lord Don Quixotine prosecution of this important enterprise he has undertaken, being all impatient to be eyewitnesses of his celebrated and matchless courage. I shall be proud of the honor of serving and waiting upon you, my good Lord, replied Don Quixote, and reckon myself infinitely obliged by the favor and good opinion of so honorable a company which I shall endeavor to improve and confirm, though at the expense of the last drop of my blood. The night coming on, and the innkeeper, by order of Don Fernando's friends, having made haste to provide them the best supper he could, the cloth was laid on a long table, there being neither round nor square in the house. Don Quixote, after much ceremony, was prevailed upon to sit at the head, he desired the Lady Mykomykona to sit next him, and the rest of the company having placed themselves according to their rank and convenience, they eat their supper very heartily. Don Quixote, to raise the diversion, never minded his meat, but inspired with the same spirit that moved him to preach so much to Thigoherds, 
began to hold forth in this manner, certainly, gentlemen, if we readily consider it, those who make knight-errantry their profession often meet with surprising and most stupendous adventures, for what mortal in the world, at this time entering within this castle, and seeing us sit together as we do, will imagine and believe us to be the same persons which in reality we are? Who is there that can judge that this lady by my side is the great queen we all know her to be, and that I am that knight of the sorrowful figure universally made known by fame? It is, then, no longer to be doubted but that this exercise and profession surpasses all others that have been invented by man, and is so much the more honorable as it is more exposed to dangers. Let none presume to tell me that the pen is preferable to the sword. This may be ascertained by regarding the end and object each of them aims at, for that intention is to be most valued which makes the noblest end its object. The scope and end of learning, I mean human learning, in this place I speak not of divinity, whose aim is to guide souls to heaven, for no other can equal a design so infinite as that, is to give a perfection to distributive justice, bestowing upon everyone his due, and to procure and cause good laws to be observed, an end really generous, great, and worthy of high commendation, but yet not equal to that which knight-errantry tends to, whose object and end is peace, which is the greatest blessing man can wish for in this life. And, therefore, the first good news that the world received was that which the angels brought in the night the beginning of our day when they sang in the air, Glory to God on high, peace on earth, and to men goodwill. And the only manner of salutation taught by our great master to his friends and favorites was that entering any house they should say, Peace be to this house. And at other times he said to them, My peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you, peace be among you, a jewel and legacy worthy of such a donor, a jewel so precious that without it there can be no happiness either in earth or heaven. This peace is the true end of war, for arms and war are one and the same thing. Allowing, then, this truth, that the end of war is peace, and that in this it excels the end of learning, let us now weigh the bodily labors the scholar undergoes against those the warrior suffers, and then see which are greatest. The method and language Don Quixote used in delivering himself were such, that none of his hearers at that time looked upon him as a madman, but on the contrary, most of them being gentlemen to whom the use of arms properly appertains, they gave him a willing attention, and he proceeded in this manner, these, then, I say, are the sufferings and hardships a scholar endures. First, poverty, not that they are all poor, but to urge the worst that may be in this case, and having said he endures poverty, methinks nothing more need urge to express his misery, for he that is poor enjoys no happiness, but labors under this poverty in all its parts, at one time in hunger, and another in cold, another in nakedness, and sometimes in a loth and together, yet his poverty is not so great, but still he eats, though it be later than the usual hour, and of the scraps of the rich. Neither can the scholar miss of somebody's stove or fireside to sit by, where, though he be not thoroughly heated, yet he may gather warmth, and at last sleep away the night under a roof. 
I will not touch upon other less material circumstances as the want of linen and scarcity of shoes, thinness and baldness of their clothes, and their surfeiting when good fortune throws a feast in their way, teases the difficult and uncouth path they tread, often stumbling and falling, yet rising again and pushing on, till they attain that preferment they aim at, with their being arrived, we have seen many of them, who having been carried by a fortunate gale through all these quicksands, from a chair, govern the world, their hunger being changed into satiety, their cold into comfortable warmth, their nakedness into magnificence of apparel, and the mats they used to lie upon into stately beds of costly silks and softest linen, a reward due to their virtue. But yet their sufferings being compared to those the soldier endures, appear much inferior, as I shall in the next place make out. Chapter 25 A continuation of Don Quixote's curious and excellent discourse upon arms and learning. Since, speaking of the scholar, we began with his poverty and its several parts, continued Don Quixote, let us now observe whether the soldier be any richer than he, and we shall find that poverty itself is not poorer, for he depends on his miserable pay, which he receives but seldom, or perhaps never, or else on that he makes by marauding with the hazard of his life and trouble of his conscience. Such as sometimes his want of apparel, that a slashed buff coat is all his holiday raiment and shirt, and in the depth of winter being in the open field, he has nothing to cherish him against the sharpness of the season but the breath of his mouth, which issuing from an empty place, I am persuaded is itself cold, though contrary to the rules of nature. But now see how he expects night to make amends for all these hardships in the bed prepared for him, which, unless it be his own fault, never proves too narrow, for he may freely lay out as much of the ground as he pleases and tumble to his content without danger of flows in the sheets. But above all, when the day shall come, we're in haste to put in practice the exercise of his profession and strive to gain some new degree, when the day of battle shall come, then, as a mark of honor, shall his head be dignified with a cap made of lint to stop a hole made by a bullet or be perhaps carried off maimed at the expense of a leg or arm. And if this do not happen, but that merciful heaven preserve his life and limbs, it may thought that he shall remain as poor as before and must run through many encounters and battles, may always come off victorious to obtain some little preferment, and these miracles, too, are rare, but I pray tell me, gentlemen, if ever you made it your observation, how few are those who obtained your rewards in war, in comparison of those numbers that perish, doubtless you will answer that there is no parity between them that the dead cannot be reckoned up, whereas those who live and are rewarded may be numbered with three figures. It is quite otherwise with scholars, not only those who follow the law, but others also, who all either by hook or by crook get a livelihood, so that though these old years' sufferings be much greater, yet his reward is much less. 
taught as it may be answered that it is easier to reward 2,000 scholars than 30,000 soldiers because the former are recompensed at the expense of the public by giving them employments, but the latter cannot be gratified but at the cost of the master that employs them, yet this very difficulty makes good my argument. Now for a man to attain to an eminent degree of learning costs him time, watching, hunger, nakedness, dizziness in the head, weakness in the stomach, and other inconveniences, which are the consequences of these, of which I have already in part made mention. But the rising gradually to be a good soldier is purchased at the whole expense of fault that is required for learning, and that in so surpassing a degree that there is no comparison betwixt them, because he is every moment in danger of his life. To what danger or distress can a scholar be reduced equal to that of a soldier, who, being besieged in some strong place, and at his post in some raveland or bastion, perceives the enemy carrying on line under him, and yet must upon no account remove from thence, or shun the danger which threatens him? All he can do is, to give notice to his commander, that he may countermine, but must himself stand still, fearing and expecting, while a sudden he shall soar to the clouds without wings, and be again cast down headlong against his will. If this danger seem inconsiderable, let us see whether that be not greater when two galleys shock one another with their prows in the midst of the spacious sea. When they have thus grappled, and are clinging together, the soldier is confined to the narrow beak, being a board not above two feet wide, and yet though he sees before him so many ministers of death threatening, as there are pieces of cannon on the other side pointing against him, and not half a pike's length from his body, and being sensible that the first slip off his feet sends him to the bottom of Neptune's dominions, still, for all this, inspired by honor, with an undaunted heart, he stands. A mark to so much fire, and endeavors to make his way by that narrow passage into the enemy's vessel. But what is most to be admired is that no sooner one falls, where he shall never rise till the end of the world, than another steps into the same place, and if he also drops into the sea, which lies in wait for him like an enemy, another, and after him another, still fills up the place, without suffering any interval of time to separate their deaths. A resolution and boldness scarce to be paralleled in any other trials of war. Blessed be those happy ages that were strangers to the dreadful fury of these devilish instruments of artillery which is the cause that very often a cowardly base hand takes away the life of the bravest gentleman, and that in the midst of that vigor and resolution which animates and inflameth bold, a chance bullet, shot perhaps by one that fled, and was frighted at the very flash the mischievous piece gave when it went off, coming nobody knows how or from whence, in a moment puts a period to the brave designs and the life of one that deserved to have survived many years. This considered, I could almost say I am sorry at me heart for having taken upon me this profession of a knight errant in so detestable an age, for though no danger daunts me, yet it affects me to think that powder and lead may deprive me of the opportunity of becoming famous and making myself known throughout the world by the strength of my arm and din of my sword. But let heaven order matters as it pleases, for if I compass my designs, 
I shall bear so much the more honored by how much the dangers I have exposed myself to are greater than those the knights errant of former ages underwent, i.e. do not exceed hundreds. All this long preamble Don Quixote made whilst the company supped, never minding to eat a mouthful, though Sancho Panza had several times advised him to mind his meat, telling him there would be time enough afterwards to talk as he thought fit. Those who heard him were fresh moved with compassion to see a man who seemed, in all other respects, to have a sound judgment so distracted when any mention was made off my territory. Chapter 26 Of occurrences at the inn and of many other things worthy to be known. Night was now advanced and a coach arrived at the inn with some horsemen. The travelers wanted lodging for the night but the hostess told them that there was not an inch of room disengaged in the whole inn. Notwithstanding that, said one of the men on horseback, there must be room made for my lord judge here in the coach. On hearing this, the hostess was disturbed and said, Sir, the truth is, he have no bed, but if his worship, my lord judge, brings one with him, let him enter in God's name, for I and my husband will quit our own chamber to accommodate his honor. Be it so, quoth the squire, and by this time a person had alighted from the coach whose garb immediately shewed the nature and dignity of his station, for his long gown and tucked up sleeves denoted him to be a judge, as his servant had said. He led by the hand a young lady apparently about sixteen years of age, in a riding dress, so lovely and elegant in her person that all were struck with so much admiration that, had they not seen Dorothea and Lucinda, they would never have believed that there was such another beautiful damsel in existence. Don Quixote was present at their entrance, and he thus addressed them, Your worship may securely enter and range this castle. For, however confined and inconvenient it may be, place will always be. Found for arms and letters, especially when, like your worship, they appear under the patronage of beauty, for to this fair maiden not only castles should throw open wide their gates, but rocks divide and separate, and mountains bow their lofty heads in salutation. Enter, sir, into this paradise, for here you will find suns and stars worthy of that lovely heaven you bring with you. Here you will find arms and air zenith, and beauty in perfection. The judge marveled greatly at this speech, and he earnestly surveyed the knight, no less astonished by his appearance than his discourse, and was considering what to say in reply, when the other ladies made their appearance attracted by the account the hostess had given of the beauty of the young lady. Don Fernando, Cardinio, and the priest paid their compliments in a more intelligible manner than Don Quixote, and all the ladies of the castle welcomed the fair stranger. In short, the judge easily perceived that he was in the company of persons of distinction, but the mean, visage, and behavior of Don Quixote confounded him. After mutual courtesies and inquiries as to what accommodation he had afforded, the arrangements previously made were adopted, namely, that all the women should lodge in the large chamber and the men remain without, as their guard. The judge was content that the young lady, who was his daughter, should accompany the other ladies, and she herself readily consented, thus, with the innkeeper's narrow bed, 
Together with that which the judge had brought with him, they passed the night better than they had expected. The night being now far advanced, they proposed retiring to repose during the remainder, Don Quixote offering his service to guard the castle, lest some giant or other miscreant errant, tempted by the treasure of beauty there enclosed, should presume to make an attack upon it. His friends thanked him and took occasion to amuse the judge with an account of his strange frenzy. Sancho Panza alone was out of all patience at sitting up so late. However, he was better accommodated than any of them upon the accoutrements of his ass, for which he dearly paid, as shall be hereafter related. The ladies having retired to their chamber, and the rest accommodated as well as they could be, Don Quixote, according to his promise, sallied out of the inn to take his post at the castle gate. A short time before daybreak, a voice reached the ears of the ladies so sweet and melodious that it forcibly arrested their attention, especially that of Dorothea, by whose side sat Donna Clara de Viedma, the daughter of the judge. The voice was unaccompanied by any instrument, and they were surprised at the skill of the singer. Sometimes they fancied that the sound proceeded from the yard, and on other times from the stable. While they were in this uncertainty, Cardinio came to the chamber door and said, If you are not asleep, pray listen, and you will hear one of the muleteers singing enchantingly. Dorothea told him that they had heard him, upon which Cardinio retired. Then listening with much attention, Dorothea plainly distinguished the following words. Chapter 27 The Agreeable History of the Young Muleteer with Other Strange Accidents I Tossed in doubts and fears, I rove on the stormy seas of love, far from comfort, far from port, beauty's prize, and fortune's sport, yet my heart disdains despair while I trace my leading star. 2. But reservedness, like a cloud, does too oft her glory shroud, pierced to the gloom, reviving light. Be auspicious as you're bright. As you hide or dart your beams, your adorer sinks or swims. Dorothea thought it was a great loss to Donna Clara not to hear such excellent singing. She therefore gave her a gentle shake and awoke her. Excuse me, my dear, for disturbing you, she said, since it isolate that you may have the pleasure of hearing the sweetest voice which perhaps you ever heard in your life. Clara, half awake, was obliged to ask Dorothea to repeat what she had said to her, after which she endeavored to command her attention, but had no sooner heard a few words of the song than she was seized with a fit of trembling as violent as the attack of a court and ague, and, clinging round Dorothea, she cried, Ah, my dear lady, why did you wake me? The greatest service that could be done me would be forever to close both me eyes and ears that I might neither see nor hear the unhappy musician. What do you say, my dear, answered Dorothea, is it not Amuleteer who is singing? Oh no, replied Clara, he is a young gentleman of large possessions and so much master of my heart that if he rejected not, it shall be as eternally. Dorothea was surprised at the passionate expressions of the girl, which she would not have expected from one of her tender years. She therefore said to her, 
Your words surprise me, Signora Clara. Explain yourself farther. What is this you say of heart and possessions and who is this musician whose voice affects you so much? But stay, do not speak just yet. He seems to be preparing to sing again, and I must not lose the pleasure of hearing him. Clara, however, stopped her own ears with both hands, to Dorothea's great surprise, who listened very attentively to the music. When the singing had ceased, Donna Clara again began to sigh, and all this so excited Dorothea's curiosity that she pressed her to explain what she had just before said. Clara embraced her, and putting her face close to her ear, she whispered, lest she should be overheard by Lucinda, that singer, my dear madam, said she, is the son of an Aragonian gentleman who is lord of two towns, and, when at court, lives opposite to my father. Although my father kept his windows covered with canvas in the winter, and lattices in summer, it happened, by some chance, that this young gentleman saw me whether at church or where it was I know not, but in truth he fell in love with him, and expressed his passion from the window of his house, by so many signs and so many tears that I was forced to believe him, and even told of him too. Among other signs he often joined one hand with the other, signifying his desire to marry me, and though I should have been very glad if it might have been so, yet being alone, and having a mother, I knew not who to speak to on the subject, and therefore let it rest, without granting him any other favor than, when his father and mine were both abroad, to lift up the lattice window, just to shoe myself, at which he seemed so delighted that you would have thought him mad. When the time of my father's departure drew near, he heard of it, though not from me, for I never had an opportunity to speak to him, and soon after he fell sick, as I was told, for grief, so that, on the day we came away, I could not see him to say farewell, though it were only with my eyes. But, after we had traveled two days, on entering a village about a day's journey hence, I saw him at the door of an inn, in the habit of a muleteer, saw his guise that, had not his image been deeply imprinted in my heart, I could not have known him. I was surprised and overjoyed at the sight of him, and he stole looks at me unobserved by my father, whom he carefully avoids when he passes either on the road or at the inns, when I think who he is, and how he travels on foot, bearing so much fatigue, for love of me, I am ready to die with pity, and cannot help following him with my eyes. I cannot imagine what his intentions are, nor how he could leave his father, who loves him passionately, of any other heir, and also because he is so very deserving, as you will perceive, when you see him. I can assure you, besides, that all heasings is of his own composing, for I have heard that he is a great scholar and a poet. Every time I see him, or hear him sing, I tremble all over with fright, lest my father should recollect him, and discover our inclinations. Although I never spoke a word to him in my life, yet I love him so well that I never can live without him. This, dear madam, is all I can tell you about him whose voice has pleased you so much, by that alone you may easily perceive he is no muleteer but master of hearts and towns, as I have already told you. Enough, my dear Clara, said Dorothea, kissing her a thousand times, 
you need not say more, compose yourself till morning, for I hope to be able to manage your affairs so that the conclusion may be as happy as the beginning is innocent. Ah, Signora, said Donna Clara, what conclusion can be expected, since his father is of such high rank and fortune that I am not worthy to be even his servant, much less his wife? As to marrying without my father's knowledge, I would not do it for all the world. I only wish this young man would go back and leave him, absence, perhaps, may lessen the pain I now feel, though I fear it will not have much effect. What a strange sorcery this love is. I know not how it came to possess me, so young as I am in truth, I believe you are both of the same age, and I am not yet sixteen, nor shall I be, as my father says, until next Michaelmas. Dorothea could not forbear smiling at Donna Clara's childish simplicity, however, she entreated her again to sleep the remainder of the night and to hope for everything in the morning. Profound silence now reigned over the whole house, all being asleep except the innkeeper's daughter and her maid Meritorns, who, knowing Don Quixote's weak points, determined to amuse themselves by observing him while he was keeping guard without doors. There was no window on that side of the house which overlooked the field, except a small opening to the straw loft where the straw was thrown out. At this hole the pair of damsels planted themselves whence they commanded a view of the knight on horseback, leaning on his lance, and could hear him ever and anon heaving such deep and mournful sighs that they seemed torn from the very bottom of his soul. They could also distinguish words uttered in a soft, soothing, amorous tone, such as, O oh, my lady Dulcinea del Toboso. Perfection of all beauty, quintessence of discretion, treasury of wit, and pledge of modesty. What may now Bethy's sweet employment? Art thou, peradventure, thinking of thy captive knight, who voluntarily exposes himself to so many perils and toils for thy sake? O thou luminary, bring me swift tidings of her. Perhaps thou art now gazing at her, envious of her beauty, as she walks through some gallery of her sumptuous palace, or leans over some balcony, considering how she may, without offense to her virtue and dignity, assuage the torment which this poor afflicted heart of mine endures for her. Or meditating on what glory she shall bestow on my sufferings, what solace to my cares, or recompense to my long services. While the knight thus employed himself, for men on horseback came up to the inn, well-appointed and accoutred, with carbines hanging on their saddle-bows. Not finding the inn door open, they called aloud, and knocked very hard, upon which Don Quixote cried out from the place where he stood sentinel, in a loud and imperious tone, knights, or squires, or whoever ye are, desist from knocking at the gate of this castle, for at this early hour its inmates are doubtless sleeping, at least they are not accustomed to open the gates of their fortress until the sun has spread his beams over the whole horizon, retire therefore until daylight shall inform us, whether it be proper to admit you or not. What kind of a fortress or castle is this, quoth one of them, that we are obliged to observe all this ceremony? If you are the innkeeper, make somebody open the door, for we are travelers, and only want to bay our horses, and go on as we're in haste. 
What say ye, sirs, do I look like an innkeeper? said Don Quixote. I know not what you look like, answered the other. Booty, I'm sure you talk preposterously to call this in a castle. A castle it is, replied Don Quixote, and one of the best in the whole province, and at this moment contains within its walls persons who have had crowns on their heads and scepters in their hands. You had better have said the reverse, quoth the traveler, the scepter on the head, and the crown in the hand, but perhaps some company off strolling players are here, who frequently wear such things. This isn't a place for any other sort of crowned heads. Your ignorance must be great, replied Don Quixote, if you know not that such events are very common in chivalry. The other horseman, impatient at the dialogue, repeated his knocks with so much violence that he roused no one of the host, but all the company in the house.